You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan side of network. Happy weekend, everybody. Special weekend edition of Locked On Wolves, a post-game podcast following Friday night's loss to the Charlotte Hornets. Want to cover that game, the key takeaways, of course, the Anthony Edwards versus LaMelo Ball matchup, which was dynamite, really, for several possessions in a row in the second quarter. Um, So I want to talk through that. And then also what the Wolves are doing offensively with Towns and Beasley, what's working and what's certainly not. Um, And then also down the stretch, some of the issues again, the Wolves let Terry Rozier go off um, uh, on the defensive end of things. And so that's obviously a concern to to talk through. Um, But I want to just kind of cover the game as a whole, look at some of those key takeaways Um, and then take a quick peek ahead at the schedule. Before we do all that, though, a quick reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get podcasts, including iTunes. You can also follow on Spotify and also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. That's at LockedOnTWolves. Don't forget the T. Always like to remind every few weeks or so for new listeners that I did not create that Twitter handle. If I had, I would not have used the T, but the old LockedOnWolves handle is locked apparently and we can't access it. So there you go at locked on T wolves and also at B beacon. That's B beacon, two B's, two E's C K E N. All right. So wolves Hornets, this was always going to be a pretty good game. The Hornets are up up just under 500 team up and coming. They have the, at this point, favorite for the rookie of the year award in LaMelo ball. They're fun to watch. They're well coached and uh, just kind of up and coming. The Timberwolves have Carl Anthony Towns back. Even without D'Angelo Russell, that makes the Timberwolves watchable on a nightly basis to, uh, to casual fans. Really. I mean, that's a pretty good bar. I mean, this would have been a good league pass game to watch. The Wolves got off to a pretty good start. We're up 30 to 25 after the first quarter. Um, Actually, it was somewhere in the middle of the first quarter. I had typed up a a draft uh, for a tweet, basically just saying that the two rules look sluggish. This just, they seem kind of off. Towns was certainly off early in the game, missed a couple of shots. He doesn't miss, missed some threes badly, but just as a whole, the team seemed sluggish. And then all of a sudden the bench came in and went on like a nine to two run or something and ended up winning the quarter by five points. So I, uh, I deleted that tweet and then as the game wore on, it actually seemed a little bit like that was the case. Like they weren't quite all the way there. They weren't quite all the way in it. Um, you know, not to a player necessarily because there were some good individual performances, but as a unit, the wolves just didn't look great. Uh, the second quarter they lost by six points. Um, there was a bit of a rough stretch in the middle of that quarter and they were down at halftime by um, by one. I, I should note in the first quarter, Malik Beasley had 16 points in the first. He only had three in the second quarter. And uh, of course he was on the bench for a good chunk of it, but the Wolves actually played Beasley for the entirety of the first quarter and into the first part of the second quarter, which they haven't done all season. I'm, I'm pretty confident. Um, they've typically had a pretty, pretty uh, regular rest rotation and, and um, but Beasley played the full first quarter. And of course, maybe not so coincidentally, certainly not so coincidentally, the Wolves were up by five headed to the second down by one at halftime. Um, Minnesota didn't really adjust their defensive strategy and it was okay for at times. I mean, the Wolves clearly didn't want Gordon Hayward to beat them. They forced Gordon Hayward into a five of 21 shooting night and uh, three turnovers in this game for just 14 points for Hayward in 35 minutes. But the problem is that by putting a Kogi in Hayward and essentially forcing him to pass the ball or take really difficult shots, Terry Rozier was left pretty open for the first part of the game. And, 
really, it was a pretty easy first half for him, and he accumulated points quickly. The second half, Malik Beasley actually did a much better job guarding him. For the most part, he was the Timberwolves player charged with guarding Rozier. And again, Beasley's rep is he's a below average defender, but at least this year he's been he's the effort has been there defensively. He's trying. He wants to not be a negative defender. And he still has been, but he's been better. And I mean you look at if you rewatch the fourth quarter, Beasley's contesting or somebody's contesting the majority of Rozier's attempts and he's still making them. He ended up scoring 41 points in 41 minutes on only 20 shots, six of 10 beyond the arc and made all nine of his free throw attempts. Rozier was the reason the Hornets won this game. And while the Wolves did slow down Gordon Hayward with no Jarrett Culver, uh, they don't have a second wing defender. That's that's a clear plus defender. Jalen Noel had his moments. Um, it was another not great game for him offensively. He had a couple nice defensive plays. Um, and Anthony Edwards has the skill set to be a good defender, but the Wolves just don't have enough wing defense. I mean, Jade McDaniels wasn't going to guard Terry Rozier on a consistent basis in this game. Outside of Josh Okogie, the Wolves don't have enough wing defense to truly slow down teams that have multiple dynamic wings. And Rozier obviously is having a pretty good year and he's a, he's a good player, but uh, I don't think anybody expected him to go off for 41 um, in this game. So, that was ultimately the reason the Hornets jumped ahead. It continued to kind of snowball a little for the Wolves. They were down five going into the fourth. Of course, had a chance to win. And in fact, were down by just a possession with a minute to play. And uh, some of the same late game issues. And And I want to get a little bit more into this later because there's this conversation now on Wolves Twitter about um, stealth tanking and are the Timberwolves okay with losing at this stage or, or what have you. So I want to get into that a little bit uh, later, but... Down the stretch, the Wolves didn't call timeouts. They had a couple of kind of throwaway type possessions, which is obviously not what you want to see when, when you're in the game against a beatable team. Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor and um, it just they just couldn't bring the game home. So I want to kind of go through the end of the game and what the Wolves did wrong here in a minute. I also want to do individual studs and duds. And then I want to talk about the Wolves offense kind of from a 10,000 foot view and what was different about it in this game or, or has been different since Towns has returned. And if that'll stay the case, here moving forward. So be a pretty quick hitting pod today. I want to hit all those things here coming up next um, on the show. We're covering everything you need to know about the Minnesota Timberwolves here at Locked On Wolves, but what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the fantastic Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. All right, so key takeaways from this game. Let's go there first. Number one, the Wolves offense. Um, the Wolves have pretty regularly ran a five-out offense, as I guess you, you could call it their base set, um, over Ryan Saunders' tenure as head coach. And it's one of the reasons I've talked about before. The reason why Nas Reed was sought out is he's a big that can replicate a certain percentage of what Carl Anthony Towns can do. And so you can run the same set with your bench unit as you do with the offense or with the starters. Um, and that's pretty much what the Wolves have done. They're still doing that a fair amount of the time, but they're running it often into a pick and roll and then rolling Cat down to the low block. That's what happened on, I don't know the percentage of the possessions, but certainly felt like more than half of the Wolves' offensive possessions in this game when Carl Anthony Towns was, oh, actually with Nas Reed on the floor too. They did it with both Towns and Nas where they would, would they would start five out, they would run a pick and roll, and then the big, either Nas or Cat, would run would would roll to the post 
and just kind of hang there. And then from there, the Wolves would swing the ball around the perimeter, try and get the ball to, to Towns or to Nas. And I haven't looked at the points per possession on post-ups in this game yet, but it wasn't great. Uh, most of that is due to Cat having a little bit of an off game. The other piece of it is in this particular game, the Hornets have are one of the few teams that actually play two more traditional centers in Cody Zeller and um, and Bismarck Miyambo off the bench. And the Wolves just kind of kept running into a wall. I mean, the Hornets only had three blocks on the game, only one for Zeller, one for Biombo, and then one for Terry Rozier. But the Wolves just weren't having success at the rim. And, and overall on the night, their offensive efficiency wasn't really all that great outside of really kind of the first quarter and then um, that stretch in the second and then late in the fourth when they were hanging in the game. But the offense just didn't really quite look as it needed to look. And, and I don't really understand. I, I understand why they're trying to get Towns post touches. He's arguably the best offensive post player in the entire NBA. But for that to be the focal point against a team like the Hornets is really interesting. I don't know if it's because they were trying to limit fast break opportunities with LaMelo Ball getting out in transition, thinking that if, you know the less long threes we're taking, the less long rebounds there are, the less opportunity there is for runouts for the opposing team. Um, but it seemed like the Wolves were a little too married with trying to get Townsley's post touches and the Hornets were playing it really well. And Cat ended up, I mean, he ended up with an okay night. His final line was was fine, but that's because he came on really strong in the second half. The first quarter was rough for him. The first quarter was rough for the Timberwolves offensively up until, you know, the the final moments of the quarter when the when the bench really, uh, you know, kept the Wolves in the game. But the Wolves just didn't quite look comfortable in those sets. And, and Malik Beasley is the one who, after outside of that first quarter, he had to really kind of hunt for his shot um, in most cases in that in that scenario. So interesting choice in, in a game like this to do that offensively. Um, and then the other thing, oh, and, and also that's also a set that would work really well with D'Angelo Russell running the show, running the pick and roll. Um, the Hornets hedge really hard on pick and and they generally run drop coverage, but they hedge really hard. And Rubio was struggling a little bit with that. The Wolves, even McLaughlin struggled a little bit with it, trying to get Pat, get around the hedge and still have a passing lane or still create. And of course with Rubio never looking for his own shot and certainly not looking to shoot, um, to pull up and shoot a three pointer off the dribble. D'Angelo Russell obviously would have a much better chance of exploiting that coverage than Ricky Rubio. And so Against a team like Charlotte, if D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are on the floor, sure, run a pick and roll and roll Towns to the post and try and get him the ball in the post. And if you can't, D'Lo can pull up and shoot and create for others, et cetera. Um, but against Charlotte and without D'Lo, it was an interesting choice to kind of shift the offensive focus into that that set. Um, the other thing notable about the rotation, about Ryan Saunders' rotation, was there were some stretches in the second half especially where he was just kind of trying things that seemed really weird. Um, like, for instance, there was a lineup when Nas was the center, Jade McDaniels was the four, and Anthony Andrews was playing the three. And, I mean, I've harped a little bit on rebounding rate. Okay, I've harped a lot on rebound rate for guys like Nas this season. To a lesser extent, McDaniels, because he's played less minutes, um, and we've seen less of him, and I've harped on it with Anthony Edwards. But having those three on the floor together is not a recipe that's going to lead to anything resembling success on the glass. Um, all three of those guys rebound at a rate below where they should. And to have those three as your big three on the floor, and then I believe it was mostly with Jordan McLaughlin and Jalen Noel at the two, and then maybe sometime with Beasley at the two. But that's that's an entire lineup where where 
they're below average rebounders for their position. And yes, part of that is the hand that Saunders is, is dealt, right? I mean, he can only play the guys that he has on the roster, but um, the rotation still is a little bit questionable there. And, and also, if that was really a concern, I mean, there's other guys on the bench. You could try the two-big lineup again with Nas and Towns. You could play Ed Davis with either Nas or Towns and, and slide Nas to the four or play Ed Davis at the four. Um, but that lineup is just not... And, and sure enough, they did get killed on the glass by Charlotte in terms of second second chance points, that lineup specifically, but certainly on the night, Charlotte had 12 offensive rebounds for the game. The Wolves only had 40 rebounds. Charlotte had 55. The Wolves were a minus 15 on the glass and Charlotte had 12 offensive rebounds in this game. That really, really matters. Um, a big part of that has to do with rotation. The other thing is, is guys like Nas and Nas was actually much better on the glass in this game. He had five rebounds in 16 minutes, which for him is, is a rebounding explosion. But Jade McDaniel, you know, some of these guys, they, the onus is on them to improve technique rebounding-wise, hustle rebounding-wise. I mean, there's, there's, those are two of the biggest things when it comes to rebounding. Um, they both have the size to be successful, even if they're a little bit a little bit undersized for their respective positions, and especially playing a, a team that's a good rebounding team in Charlotte with, with a pretty big front line. Um, but still, that's an area of concern that continues for the Wolves. And then the other thing that the Wolves did that wasn't great in this game was was free throw shooting. Again, we talked about this just the other day when the Wolves lost. They only attempted 14 free throws to Charlotte's 19. So, yeah, you're thinking, oh, you've left five points on the board there, or the or the Hornets have have you know are plus five in the free throw column. Well, not when Charlotte makes all 19 of their attempts. They're 19 of 19. The Wolves are eight of 14, 57 percent from the line. Charlotte's plus 11 points at the free throw line. You can't spot. Charlotte, 11 points and expect to win. That's a lack of going to the rim from the Timberwolves side. And then when they get to the free throw line, they just don't make the free throws. Jared Vanderbilt, Jalen Noel, both 0 for 2 from the line. Um, McDaniels and Reed each missed a free throw as well. So the team was just 8 of 14 in this game. Um, you would think with Cat getting as many post touches as they were trying to get him that he'd attempt more than two free throws, but that wasn't the case in this game. There were a couple of three-pointers, actually, they could have called fouls on that Towns could have ended up getting a four-point play, but they didn't. And um, he only attempted two free throws. Uh, Rubio is in the top four on the team in, re- in free throw rate. He only attempted one free throw, and it was on a technical after Biombo got called for a technical. Akogi only attempted two free throws. Malik Beasley scored 31 points, did not attempt a single free throw in this game. 13 of his 21 shots were threes. And he was he was five of eight inside the arc, seven of 13 outside the arc. So a really good, efficient shooting night to get the 31 points, but no free throw attempts. So that's another thing. And, and, and the team's MO this year is just simply they're not getting to the line as much compared to last year. I talked about this, I think, on Wednesday's show. And I guess that's, a, I mean, that's okay to some extent, but then you got to find points in other ways and they're not a good enough three-point shooting team or good enough in other areas to make up that, that deficit, um, which, is, which is the concern. Okay, um, I want to close by talking about a couple of the coaching decisions down the stretch that I don't love and whether or not that means that this team is stealth tanking or not, and then quickly hit individual studs and duds uh, coming up next here. March Madness is only a few weeks away, but the future of the NBA is already on display right now. Get a head start on next year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Draft guru Chad Ford has his first Big Board of the Year out with profiles of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast wherever you get podcasts. 
Okay, let's talk about the end of the game. So I already talked a little bit about some of the questionable rotation pairings uh, or, or I guess lineups that, that Saunders ran out there. But the Wolves were in this game down the stretch. Um, there was that, I guess I didn't really talk about the fun back and forth between Edwards and, and LaMelo Ball in the second quarter. So we could talk about that quickly before I get to, to the fourth. Um, there were a couple of really fun stretches in this game from a back and forth perspective. One was in the second quarter. Or I beg your pardon. Actually, I think most of that back and forth was in the third quarter. There was a little in the second quarter of, of Ball and Edwards going back and forth. But in the third quarter, you had Edwards score and then Lamella Ball comes down and gets an and one, draws a foul on Rubio. Uh, after a turnover, Ball scores again. And then Edwards comes down and hits a three-pointer, you know, just kind of like brings the ball down the court, steps back, hits a three-pointer. Um, on the Edwards then gets an and one, draws a foul on Biombo. And there was just a little, a couple of these kind of windows, these possessions where these players are going back and forth. And clearly there's a little bit of one-upsmanship involved there, just like we saw with Edwards and James Wiseman in Golden State. Um, so that was fun to watch. And, and Edwards held his own. He did, he, that and one was a great play. He had a couple of tough three-pointers that he made. He continued to struggle a little bit with shot selection and the Wolves still aren't quite sure when they want to hand the keys to him. You know, there was that game that they just, like he'd never touched the ball in the fourth quarter. And then there's other games where they just give the ball to him and get out of his way and let him let him figure it out, which we already know he plays well. I mean, his points per possession is great in isolation. And so I'm not advocating against that. Um, but the decision-making is is the thing that still needs to, to improve a little bit for him. And that's to be expected. He's a 19-year-old rookie. I get that. But um, it doesn't mean that we can't analyze his play. And I think that's the thing. I mean, he has 21 points and 21 shots. It's not ultra efficient. He does continue, though, to be really good at not committing turnovers. Part of that is because he's not passing the ball a ton. But those assist numbers have kind of been two, three, four assists per game, which is fine, um, especially when he's only turning it over zero or one times a game. So um, there's obviously a lot to like about Edwards, and he demonstrated quite a bit of that in this game in terms of getting downhill and um, scoring at the rim. And I mean, I guess he only drew the one foul, but... um, just being aggressive and being a bull in a China shop when it comes to, to playing in isolation, getting to the rim basically at will. The efficiency and the decision-making are things that are going to come. That's also the reason why right now LaMelo Ball is a better player than Anthony Edwards. Um, it, it does not mean that Edwards won't figure that out, though. So, uh, you know, I want to be clear about that. I, I talked about comparing the two a little bit on, on Friday's show. So I'll say what I said then. I'm not suggesting that Edwards will never be as good as Ball or that the Wolves for sure made the wrong decision. Just that ball has been better to this point than Anthony Edwards. And he's playing with another point guard in Devonte Graham and it's working for Charlotte. That's the sort of thing that could have worked in Minnesota, but hopefully Edwards continues to improve. And, and if we see the aggression and the ability to get to the rim that we saw so much of in this game, I mean, it was good to see him attempt 21 shots and only six of them be threes, not because they don't want him shooting threes, but because if he's shooting seven, eight, nine threes a game, that's because he's shooting the ball off the dribble far more often than he should and not in the flow of the offense, not off the not off the catch, which is when he's far more effective. So um, at any rate, that was a fun battle to watch. The mellow ball was just, you know, he was fine in this game. He had 20 and 11, four assists, three steals, which obviously is really good. Um, but four turnovers was eight of 15 shooting, two of eight beyond the arc. It was just kind of, there weren't too many wow passes. There were a couple from ball. But uh, Charlotte didn't have to do a ton offensively, um, you know, too creatively to, to score 120 points in this game. So, um, but the Wolves actually did a fairly good job getting back in transition too, I should say, because that's something they've obviously struggled with mightily this year, but they did pretty good on that front in this particular game. Um, 
So that was something that slowed down Charlotte just a little bit and caused Ball to operate more on the half court than in the open floor. Um, one, the, the last point I wanted to make was the end of the game. The Wolves were within four points with a minute to play. Um, Rozier and Towns went back and forth. They hit three-pointers on consecutive possessions. Towns hits a three. Um, Ball missed a three. And then the Wolves didn't score. Rozier hits a three. Towns hits a three. Rozier hits a three. All back to back to back. So it's still a four-point game after that Rozier three. The Wolves get the ball. It's There's about a minute 20 left. And Minnesota's got two timeouts. They don't call one. That's fine. Um, Beasley misses a three off a set play. Uh, then the, Charlotte comes down. Rozier misses another three. They're still down four. They still have two timeouts with 51 seconds left. 50 seconds left. or Yeah, 50 seconds once they get the rebound. Still no timeout call. To me, you call timeout here, you set up a play to make sure that you score and then you play defense and then you don't need to call your timeout next. You could still save one to play the foul game at the end, but this is a good a good time to to regroup, right? Um, he doesn't, Saunders doesn't. The Wolves come down, Towns misses kind of a, a tough mid-range shot. The rebound bounces right to Rubio. He throws up kind of a weird leaner from the left baseline and misses. Um, Charlotte gets the rebound and the Wolves start playing the foul game immediately. And that's that's it uh, for that point. Uh, you know, Charlotte hits, I think, all six of their free throws. The Wolves got a, a two, three layups on their end. I think Charlotte actually hit eight free throws down the stretch. Didn't miss any. Of course, they're 19 of 19 for the game. Um, so the, the Wolves end the game with two timeouts in their pocket. They never, they never take one. Um, they didn't even take them down the stretch when they were playing the foul game, which at that point it's weird because I guess they did. They took one, um, but they ended the game with the timeout in their pocket. The Hornets actually used all theirs just to advance the ball to half court and inbound the ball in a safer area towards the end of the game. The Wolves just sat on their timeouts. Um, I'm a big advocate for letting the players play. I really don't like, and this happens a ton in college basketball when coaches call a timeout as their team is coming down the court in a broken floor situation, down a possession, or especially in a tie game, because coaches want to, they want to draw up a play. They want to, there's a little bit of a hero complex there. They want to be the ones to make sure that the team is organized and all this stuff. And it's like, just let them play broken floor situation. In a lot of cases, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a good, good look because the defense isn't set and you trust your players. You let them figure it out. In fact, a few weeks ago when the Wolves had that, uh, that situation that I just described down three with 10 seconds left coming up the floor. I was totally fine with the wolves, not calling a timeout there and allowing Edwards to either shoot a three, create for somebody else, drive and kick, dunk the ball, play the foul game. All those things that they had obviously talked about in their previous timeout. Edwards had the chance to do all those things and unfortunately turned the ball over, but that was the right decision to not call timeout in that game. And I defended Ryan Saunders at that moment in this particular game. It's not a broken floor situation. You're coming off of several made threes from Terry Rozier and you've secured a rebound with 50 seconds left. You're not, you're not getting down the court fast enough to get an easy bucket. Just use one of your timeouts, regroup, give your guys what the, you know, what, what's the plan? When are we going to use the next timeout? What do we do on this possession? Just kind of set up the rest of the game. But by sitting on those, now you've wasted 30 seconds on a possession where they don't score. There's an offensive rebound. They don't score again. And now there's under 30 seconds to play and you're already playing the foul game down and, and suddenly you're down six. When if you had called a timeout, drawn up a play that's successful, you're down two or you're down one um, with 40 seconds left instead of down six with 25.8 seconds left after the Rozier free throws. So that's my issue with with the 
execution down the stretch. I think for the most part there, and one of those towns threes was off a, an ATO again, Saunders calls really, really good plays coming out of timeouts. Um, for the most part, you know, there's been some real late game execution issues that I don't think are all his fault in recent games, but I mean, Towns is a good, or excuse me, Saunders is a good, uh, coach calling sideline out of bounds plays and calling, um, calling any sort of sets out of timeouts when, when the wolves are organized, his playbook is, is, is actually fairly deep and they call fairly creative things to get Beasley and Towns open threes. And they could have done that, but they didn't. And ultimately they lost this game by six. Now, does that mean that the wolves are tanking? Does the rotation mean the wolves are tanking? Um, I don't think this is an active cognizant decision by Ryan Saunders to say, let's lose these games. I do think the front office has told Ryan Saunders, and this is me speculating based on what we're seeing on the court. It seems likely that Saunders has been told, Hey, try some different combinations. We got to see if these guys work. We're probably not making the playoffs anyways. Let's see how Towns works with Jade McDaniels. Let's see how Nas Reed and Jade McDaniels can work together. Let's see how Anthony Edwards, um, you know, operates in a pick and roll with Jared Vanderbilt. We've seen a little bit less of that recently, but, um, I do think that they're fine with some of these decisions that probably aren't going to work out. And if they do great, the Wolves would love to win some games. They'd love to feel good about the core that they're building around Carl Anthony Towns because you come to the end of the season and and you're one of the three worst teams in the league. Yeah, you've got a 40% chance of keeping your pick. But what are you selling to your players? What are you selling to Carl Anthony Towns? What are you selling to the fans if you have yet another miserable season and there's very little hope? Because we can all sit here and say, man, it's fun to watch Jared Vanderbilt and and uh, Jade McDaniels and Jalen Noel. It's fun to watch those guys and the future is bright. Yeah, that's all true. But if the team's not winning and the roster doesn't change a lot from this year to next year, then what? What are? Why do we think we're going to improve? Because Saunders suddenly is smarter with his rotations and calls late game timeouts in the right spots. So I think there's some element to yeah, it's not a big deal if we lose because. If we're a bottom three team, we've at least got a shot at keeping our pick now that Towns has been hurt. Certainly, I don't think they entered the season with this goal. I think, obviously, they wanted to win. The Towns injury, the Towns COVID diagnosis, and now D'Angelo Russell being banged up, all those things play into it at this point. I don't think Ryan Saunders is saying, hey, guys, have terrible spacing and transition to try and lose this game. Hey, guys, never drive to the basket and draw a foul. You know, hey, guys, I'm going to sit on my hands and not call timeout because let's just see what happens. I don't think those are active tanking decisions. I think that's um, overall, you know, uh, a a bit of it is coaching. Certainly the timeouts at the end of the game. And and I actually think those are just mistakes by Ryan Saunders because he wants to err on the side of letting the players play and figure it out. And and I get that. And I get that in many scenarios. I just think this was a, this was a game when it wasn't done correctly. I don't think it's an active tanking decision. Um, So, and some of the, you know, the, the Wolves transition offense, the spacing, all those things, those are things that like guys are taught in high school, right? Is how to space on transition. Um, so part of that's on the players. Part of it is, I guess, on the coaching staff for not making sure that that's happening. Um, you know, when's the last time you saw the San Antonio Spurs have terrible spacing on a fast break, right? Um, so I think that there's a little bit of everything going on here. I don't think that Saunders is actively tanking by making terrible decisions. I think it's a combination of a young coach making some mistakes, young players making a lot of mistakes, and the front office kind of saying, hey, try try some things because we're not likely to make the playoffs at this point, and we need to see what sticks and what doesn't. So I think all of those things can be at play without it being, oh man, they're stealth tanking or, um, 
or Ryan Saunders is the worst coach of all time. I, I think those are both of those things are maybe a little bit reactionary to what we're seeing when in reality it's, it's a combination of things. Um, and that's, that's my take on that. Um, very quickly studs and duds for this game, because I promised that. And, um, and it's fun to call out uh, individual solid performances. Malik Beasley, of course, had 31 on 12 of 21 shooting. 16 in the first quarter was very good down the stretch again. 7 of 13 on threes. Five rebounds and assists to steal only one turnover. He did not have any free throw attempts in this game. Had the second best plus minus and the best plus minus for a starter at a plus two. So a very good Malik Beasley game. Um, he got a couple of, of, you know, he likes to get those cheap layups at the end of, uh, of games that are already in hand, but even without those, this was a good game for Malik. Uh, he's just got to get to the free throw line a little bit more often. I know that he's going to score on, you know, we talked about this early in the season. What he does is he scores on cuts. He scores on catch and shoot opportunities. He scores in transition. He doesn't put the ball on the floor a ton. He'd been doing a little more of it with towns out, but that appears over the last couple of games to be basically out of his arsenal. Now the wolves aren't running. Um, he's not handling the ball in the pick and roll. He's not getting the opportunity to handle the ball and, and create his own shot. And clearly he was very efficient in this game, even without attempting free throws, but it would be good for the Wolves to mix some of those things in so that Beasley feels like he's more a part of the offense. He's getting that, you know, that higher usage rate that he obviously desires. He had some post-game comments about how he feels like he could be used more even. I mean, he played a team high 37 minutes, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's still some upside there to Malik Beasley's offensive game. Certainly. Um, Carl Anthony Towns still gets a stud in this game, even though he started off ice cold from the field, but he finished with 25 points and 18 shots, nine of 18 shooting, five of eight beyond the arc, um, had eight, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals and a block, only turned it over once, ended up having a really good night because of that kind of, uh, that, that, uh, flurry of threes that he hit late in the game. So another good cat game, even if he did look winded and tired early in the game, which is of course completely understandable given, um, you know, it's just his second game back from COVID. We know what that does to many people's lungs. Towns has talked about how his bout was really bad. Um, and all the adrenaline that was going Wednesday, I'm sure helped him, you know, uh, have an even better game on Wednesday, but, but he was, he was good in this one. And third stud, I am going to give it to Anthony Edwards. I know that I, I talked about his, you know, 21 points and 21 shots is not ultra efficient, but for the most part, he made the right decisions. He just didn't get foul calls. He missed a couple of shots at the rim that would go in, you know, half the time, at least, you know, you, you or I should say you shoot that, you shoot a shot at the rim. Some of these shots, 10 times, he's going to make it eight or nine times out of 10. He just missed a couple of, a couple of them. Um, six rebounds, three assists, no turnovers in this game for Edwards. He is improving a little bit on the glass, which is good to see. And his decision-making is overall pretty solid. Um, he doesn't have too many sloppy turnovers. He's either making a good pass or he's shooting the ball. And that's not a bad thing. Um, that's, that's a good problem to have, I guess, if that's a problem. Um, so another good game from Edwards and, and again, well, ball is the better player in a vacuum ball is a better player today. Edwards still has tremendous upside and his fit with Carlton towns and this Timberwolves team could be really intriguing moving forward. Okay, the duds for this game, Jalen Noel gets a dud. He had two points on one of six shooting off the bench. This is back-to-back disappointing games for him. He was 0 for 4 from beyond the arc. I spent weeks pumping up Jalen Noel, talking about how he's a future six-man type guy, and uh, of course had a has had a rough week now. So hopefully he turns it around on Sunday, uh, but he is a dud in this game after a one of six performance in 18 minutes. Uh, the other one for me is, is going to be Ricky Rubio. He did have five points, nine assists. Uh, but he shot two of eight from the field, missed all three three-point attempts, had two turnovers, and his only free throw came on a technical attempt. Um, so just not a good Rubio game. The shot selection wasn't good. 
and um, just the his passes aren't as accurate as they always. I mean, every year, not only in his first stint in Minnesota, but in Phoenix and in Utah, his passing accuracy just isn't what it has been, and it's very strange. It's it's the biggest just kind of question hanging over the season is what happened to Ricky Rubio. Um, and, and I guess what happens next, are they able to trade him at the trade deadline? Are they, do they try and trade him? Um, is D'Angelo Russell moved, you know, like what, what happens next at the point guard position for the wolves? Because they've got a lot of money in the two guys who are being outplayed by the two way guy and Jordan McLaughlin, who had a very good game. I, you know, I, I could have given Jordan McLaughlin a stud for this game. He had six and seven, six point seven assists, four steals in 22 minutes, three of six shooting. Um, and it was very good. Once again, outplayed Rubio once again. Um, so that's a conversation for another day, but what happens to the point guard position in Minnesota? Who knows? Okay. That's all we have for you today on this bonus weekend edition of locked on wolves, the wolves upcoming this weekend. They play on Sunday. They're in Toronto and well, not actually in Toronto. They're in Tampa to take on the Toronto Raptors. That's a game that was a 5 p.m. Central tip. It's now a 6 p.m. tip on Sunday, which is Valentine's Day. So enjoy some Valentine's Wolves Raptors from Tampa Bay at 6 p.m. Um, we'll have a show, of course, Monday morning. We'll uh, recap the Sunday game. That will be the post game pod will be early Sunday. Um, and then we'll also peek ahead at the rest of the week. The Wolves do get to go back home for a three game homestand later in the week. So um, we'll talk about all that on Monday's show. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. You can subscribe to Locked On Wolves anywhere you get podcasts. You can also review on iTunes. That would be awesome if you did. Much appreciate it. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Don't forget the T and also at B Beacon. That's B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast. And we'll catch you next time.